podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So it's uh, all for play for still? I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hello, everybody, and welcome to For the Love of Pomegranate Podcast. And yet again, I have broken a promise that I made. I said I'd have this up for like nine o'clock in the morning, but life gets in the way, unfortunately. And I've got a break in work now, and I could said that I could maybe devote half an hour uh, max to this uh, to this podcast because I know that uh, some people have taken the effort to leave their voicemails, and I really appreciate that. And I don't want to leave this uh, this podcast. Um, drift anymore because there are some really really good good uh, voicemails that we want to get to today um, for anybody who's out there as well who hasn't checked out our my preview with Ross from the South African Lions last night that is up and available on YouTube and all the audio podcasts as well and Paddy is back uh, Paddy is uh, going to join me tonight around half nine maybe quarter to 10, depending on what my availability is um, because uh, I do have to go somewhere this evening we're going to chat through everything, I suppose, that's gone on over the week. But uh, that's just a little bit of a rundown of what we have coming over today, tomorrow. And then, obviously, Team Sheet Tantrum and Post Match will be available on Saturday as well. But I want to go, I want to look at the at the voicemails because we've had some really good voicemails. There's a lot of uh, lot of different talking points in the voicemails today. There hasn't been as many voicemails as normal, which is crap, which is cool. Uh, you guys send them in when you wish to do so. And if anybody does wish to send in a voicemail at any stage, this is how you can do it. You can leave a voicemail at geekpipe.com forward slash for the love of Paul McGrath pod and we will get to them and we will read them out so without further ado let's have a little look at some of these wonderful voicemails that we did get uh, over the course of the last week or so um so let's take a little look so uh, one of the one of our more far-flung um and uh to be honest with you, one of the people who is living in a place that I would actually love to be in right now in Jamaica, Tawan, who has been a regular contributor to the po- to the podcast via the comment section, um, has left a voicemail. And let's listen to uh, Tawan's um, voicemail and her question. And we'll have a quick chat about it afterwards. Hi, Neil. This is Tawan. Uh, Aston in fact, actually, I don't think that is going to share. I don't know if you guys could hear that audio. So I'm just going to remove it from the screen for one minute. And I'm going to just bring it back up again because I'm not sure that that is going to share this time. Maybe it did. I don't know. I just don't have any any relay here. If there's anybody in the comments there can let me know if you could hear Tuan speak a moment ago. That'd be cool because uh, you guys can hear. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Okay, well, here it goes. Well, if I'm here in Jamaica and at the moment I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I am all the negative adjectives right now. Um, and mind you, I just started um, supporting Aston Villa last year. But you can tell me nothing. I'm Aston Villa all the way. And initially, I when I heard Steven Gerrard was going to be the coach, I was like, hmm, this should be interesting. Let's see how it plays out. And initially, I was like, you know, I liked how he looked in terms of his pull with certain players, what the, the vibrant youthfulness that he actually brought to the club. I was like, all for it. So I said, all right, you know, we could work with it. 
But no, it's like it is really showing his ceiling, that he has reached his ceiling already. His tactics, or I guess lack thereof, is really showing up right now. Um, totally inept when it comes to tactics in game and even in his lineups. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't get it. This Aston Villa team, and I'm going to stand by this, outside of the top six, has the best squad man-to-man. This squad should be getting in the top 10 easily. 8, 9, 10, that should be us easily. Then we go again, we get some more players. And there's a second part to that. Then we go for some more players, top notch, and we say, okay, then we're going for top six. And then we start to build. I think that is really possible with this squad that we have, even if we don't sign any any other players in this season or this window. I think easily we can do that. But we need the right, we need the right formation, we need the right tactics, we need the right everything. And I doubt if as if Steven Gerrard is the one to do that because he's so stubborn. He's he takes too long to make changing substitutions. Poor Cameron Archer. I feel for him right now. He's rotting on the bench, but I still have faith. I still have hope that it can turn around, but something needs to be done quickly uh, when we still have maybe 30 games or so or almost 30 games that we can change it around. But whatever we do, up the villa. Up the villa indeed, Tuan. And thank you so much for your voicemails. I forgot to preface as well. Some of these voicemails do stem from before the Man City game and we're in just after the uh, transfer window closed as well. Um, so this one was from a week ago, so it was prior to the Man City game. And I suppose whether it was or whether it was prior to the Man City game, I can, I can base your feeling um, with regards to something that you said there. I think it's fair to say There I am, I'm back again. A lot of the criticism that Steven Gerrard does come in for is due to maybe his tactical makeup, the lack thereof, or the identity. And that's something that a lot of fans have said. And, and you know, there's no getting away from that. That's some of the reasons whereby teams make in-game in decisions that change the game for them. And we don't react maybe quick enough. Or maybe we don't have the ability to, to react. So I can completely uh, agree with you in that aspect. Whether he's hit his ceiling or not, I think it's probably too too early to say from the point of view of what he can do as, as a manager, maybe this isn't just, this just isn't the right fit of club for him. And that's, you know, that's going to be a shame because I think that, you know, there there's, we've been searching for quite a while, probably since I'm just trying to think, I would say nearly even probably since John Gregory, have we had, have we been searching for a team that's fit a manager and a manager that can bring a modicum of success? I know we had Martin O'Neill piece, but arguably you could say that Martin O'Neill had his most success at obviously Celtic and as well at Leicester. Um, and, and Aston Villa will probably come in either second or third in that success group. Um so Stephen Gerrard, for me, I, I don't know about the ceiling thing, but I can understand where, where that feeling comes from based on what we've seen with him in the Premier League so far. Um, with regards to to, to that and, and, um, and the substitutions, I think the substitutions are something that he's learning. Um, I think he's probably needs to learn a bit quicker from time to time. 
but then again, there are times where I have criticized uh, when I'm watching the games, certain substitutions that have been made, like at the weekend, I criticized taking John, not taking the John McGinn part off, but bringing on, I think it was Coutinho came on for John McGinn, or maybe it was Buendia, and maybe changing that up for somebody who was a bit less um, structurally orientated and more attacking orientated. And I thought, well, here we go again. This is the gung-ho maneuver that he's done previously, which leads to us conceding more and more goals. And obviously up against Manchester City, that seemed that the in that very moment of time to be the wrong thing to do. But as... Uh, um, as the as the game progressed, obviously we got that draw out of the end. But there's some really, really good points um with regards to that. And also another point that you made with regards to the squad that we have now. I think that and I'm seriously guilty of this. I'm guilty of over overhyping them at some stages, and I'm guilty of underplaying some players at some stage. And uh I think that uh, I suppose really at any given time that's probably a fair thing to do when people when players overplay overplay their ability or maybe like when we have a game whereby we're seriously structured and we haven't seen it for a while it's quite it's quite good to praise them and then it's also quite quite good as well to kind of I'm not going to say criticize them but call them out when they don't play well like I can't I, I've been consistently doing that with Ezri Kanza at the moment because I genuinely believe that he's a good player and he's not playing to the top of his abilities at the moment so what I'm saying mentioning that to one is that I agree with you in the fact that we do have a certain um, base and I think we are an attractive proposition for a lot of a lot of uh, managers a lot of uh, without speaking about Gerard being gone but I think we're an attractive proposition from that point of view that we've got a very very good solid base that has players and it ranging in ages from 26 up to 30 yes we've got a lot of players on the other side of 30 as I discussed last night in our in, in our, um, our preview but I don't think that's as negative a factor as as uh, as as some managers would look at it because managers only look at their shelf life of being two to three years anyway so by having the likes of Diego Carlos Mings uh, Martinez uh, and Ings who is our backup striker at the moment being at the edge of 30. I don't think that's going to scare many people off. But what I'm getting at here, and once again, I'm kind of rambling off topic from what you mentioned. But the reason that I'm mentioning this is because um, the foundation is there and careful additions to this and obviously replacing those guys in the age of 30 over the next two, three years, we should be able to retool quickly. Also, when we bear in mind that we do have some really exciting youngsters coming up, young Tim obviously playing at at, at QPR. Uh, hopefully, Louis Barry re realizes his potential that everybody has seen for the last three or four years. Everybody's hoped for for the last three or four years when he was at Barcelona, West Brom, now Aston Villa. He's on loan at this minute in time, and hopefully, he can fulfill that prowess or, the, or that promise. And also, we have Ken Kessler Hayden. So potentially over the coming few years, we will be able to retool with cheaper options from from our our, trans, our academy um and and that in itself is is uh, really where a club like Aston Villa who can't go and spend half a billion or 250 million in a transfer window uh, without having the ramifications somewhere down along the line are going to need to get their players from so really good questions, really good uh, contribution to one. really appreciate it. And hopefully I will hear from you again from what I presume is sunny Jamaica at this moment in time. Uh, so thank you very much. Danny H is next and we're going to listen to this. And I think this is a, is, I, I like this question. I can remember it. It's a very nuanced question with regards to tactical formation. So let's have a little look at it here and let's have a little listen, should I say, and we can discuss it afterwards. Hello, Neil, mate. Um, it's me again. Um I just wanted to touch on one of the points you brought up yesterday, actually, about the fact of Dendonka 
sort of solidifying that position for going into either a double pivot or having that sort of more solid second midfielder. We were all crying out for a good eight signing and uh, and obviously it didn't come. But, you know, it is a great opportunity for someone like Luis Ormigin to move forward and be that player on the front foot. And I think they both have the credentials to do it. John McGinn is clearly, he's not in a good spot right now. And um, that change could be uh, a bit of a turnaround for him. So just wanted to hear what you've got on that. Cheers, buddy. Thanks very much, Danny. And a good question. And I think something that we may actually be talking about at the weekend could potentially be something like that. Um, being away at Leicester, albeit Leicester uh, anchored to the bottom of the league, a win for Leicester at the weekend puts them on the same points as us. And that's just the reality of the situation. And Leicester will be looking at us as a team that they can beat, albeit that their manager is one foot out the door, so the media tells us, and some of the players they haven't added to their player group. They still have quite... They haven't added massively to their player group, but obviously they've sold for Fana and brought in um, the guy whose name I can't pronounce. Is it Foots or Fitz? I can't remember how... I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, who was a decent defender in his own right from Ream. Um, so a decent defender in his own right and will be uh, an able deputy for um, for Fofana. But obviously that midfield is still formidable. Their midfield is still better than ours, even though they haven't they haven't progressed over over the, the, the season. They're still going to have the likes of Ndidi and Tielemans in there, Harvey Barnes. Um, you know, they're going to have some really, really good players in there. So we can't take this team for, for granted. Now, getting on to your exact question that you mentioned there, and the reason why I'm tying this back to the Leicester game at the weekend is, and I'm also going to put up a little comment here from Standing on the Word uh, as well, because if we do, if we were to rest again, I think, the, I think the logical choice at this moment in time would be a, a like if we were to play the same formation or the same like the, the same midfield essentially except rest again I think the logical thing to do would be the dunker I think taking bring then dunker in there to create a more obvious double pivot kind of helps us now what it does in that aspect is like for all the 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 things we're seeing with McGinn maybe the errant passes at the moment and maybe the um uh, you know the the, the lack of driving forward with the ball, things that we would have been familiar with McGinn. He gets around the field like nobody else. Now, I don't have any statistics to back that up. I would love to be able, if anybody knows where I can find distance traveled or distance ran statistics on the internet, um, even if it's behind a paywall, that's fine. I'd be Because I, I, I think that they're a very, very um, poignant stat to have. So if anybody knows where I can find those, please let me know ASAP. That would be fantastic. Um. But I have no no statistics to back this up. But I would imagine that John McGinn covers an absolute acreage of ground during the game. And while that could be construed as a negative, it could be construed as a positive, what I think people would like him to do is maybe if he was to cut down on the amount of ground he's covering and maybe concentrate more on those passes or maybe stop being as cavalier with some of the passing that he does, maybe uh, maybe take the safer option at times. I don't know. I, I I'd like... I haven't done any massive study on John McGinn. I only ever just react to him in game or, or after the game from what I've seen. Now, if you were to take away the amount of ground he covers and the amount of pressure that he puts on players, whether it's it's um it's reflected in the actual pressure statistics or or, or whatever, whatever, whether it's it's deemed as an actual pressure or a successful pressure or whatever, that's a complete other story. But if we were to take that away, can Douglas Louise do that? 
And I'm at the stage where I want to find out whether that can, whether that is the case. Can we replicate that with two players that we bring in? So could we bring in a, um, a Dendonker who could maybe cover some more ground or some ground there that, that would allow Douglas Louise not to have to cover that? And maybe Douglas Louise could maybe cover the same, the, the rest of the portion that maybe John McGinn was covering. And let's see if it works. Because I think we're at the stage where, boy, yes, he's captain. And and he's a like I'm not going to sit here and say John McGinn's a bad player. He absolutely is not. John McGinn is a very good player going through a lull in form, and that's that happens every single footballer, bar the very very top echelon footballers in the world. John McGinn can can get his form back, and I think John McGinn is a very um, able asset towards his football club. And I can understand why he's captain, and I have no problem with him being captain. But as I say, if if the opportunity comes to try something out like that, I think we need to see it because I think I think the team like we're at the stage where we're four points in this league. We need to start getting points in the next few games. And as I say, we've spent thirteen million in Dunker. The, the club obviously want him in and around uh, the starting lineup. Like that's a, a decent chunk of change. Let's try it. Let's see it. Even if it means taking Douglas Louise out and even begin in there, then bringing Douglas Louise on from begin so we see it for 15, 20 minutes at the end of a game. I'd just like to see that. I'd like to see the setup of it some way. Maybe he starts the same four in midfield like he did the last time. I know that it wasn't exactly four in midfield, but you know what I'm talking about. Those four, what we would class as central midfielders in there. And then maybe he brings off McGinn, brings on Dundonker, moves Luis in there. What I'm getting at here is I want to see it at some stage. And I want to see it for more than like five minutes at the end of a game. I'd like to see it for 20, 25 minutes like he gave us when he brought when he took McGinn off um, in the last game. So that's kind of where I am at the moment. I'm kind of tempering my expectation along with what I want to see. Um, and I think my expectation is that I would be remiss if, if I was expecting McGinn not to start this game at the weekend. I'm setting myself up for failure because I genuinely believe he's going to start him. Whether that's the right call or the wrong call, we can talk about after the game. But my expectation is I'd like to see what you've what both Danny has said there in his in his um in his uh his voicemail and also what Stanley on the word has had there because I think there's a nice dynamic that could develop there. It could be ultra defensive, but hey, I'm okay with clogging up that midfield and. If we do clog up that midfield, it allows our fullbacks to go further forward as well. And then it kind of sorts out those two problems. We're allowing our fullbacks to go forward, but we're still clogging up that midfield and stopping the quick breaks coming back at us. And let's see if that works. Well, give It's almost like a compromise from Gerrard that he allows his creativity or his wit come from the fullbacks, which he obviously seems to like. And it still happened with, with Dino on, on further inspection. It still happened against City where Dino went forward. It's just when Ashley Young came on, he didn't go as far forward because he knew he didn't have the legs to get back. And that was just kind of a natural counterbalance on that right-hand side. So very, very good points. And let's uh, have a quick look at... Um, let's have uh, a quick look and see what that can bring us. So I'm just going to hide that comment. And we're going to move on here to uh, Matt Hallinan once more. And Matt is a great... Um, Matt, I want to thank, uh, thank you as well, Matt, for your, uh, your your very generous Patreon pledge as well. Uh, recently, I do, I do appreciate that. We do have a Patreon account. And as I say, in these times when people are struggling and stuff like that, um, I do appreciate anything like that to help us with you know, running costs and so on like that for this podcast. So thank you so much, Matt. And Matt has left us a, um, a, a voicemail. And let's listen to it now. Hi, Neil. I love your show, and it also helps my wife fall asleep, so win-win. Um, a quick bright message, maybe, in all of the doom and gloom. I am gutted by 
our results, but I'm not as down as I would be. And the reason is NASF and Wes, our owners. I think they've done everything you need as owners uh, to do, and they stay out of other things where a lot of owners wouldn't. To keep this kind of short, I'm in Washington, D.C., where, incidentally, Wayne Rooney is doing an even worse job than Stevie G with our local team. Anyway, the owner of our American football team has, over 20 years, Ooh. done the impossible and turned the whole city against him and the organization. Dan. For him, it's all about him and not the team. Price gouging, micromanaging, losing player trust, making the organization the worst place to be in the NFL. And on the flip side, Villa's owners invest in the squad, in the park, and they set high expectations without forcing harmful decisions. I know they had Perslow make that tough call with Dean Smith, whom I loved. Um, but I was hopeful for Stevie. I know fans in the city aren't always happy about the prices going up, but I don't think anyone can say that our owners aren't working for us. So I feel like they're going to be trusted to make the calls when the time is right, which like Patty, I think is probably after international break if it comes to that. Uh, so my dreams for this season are threadbare, but for the club are always... Uh, Bright for the long term, I guess. Um, anyway, up the villa, and thanks for your show. Matt, thank you so much. And that is a wonderful um, voicemail as well, because it does put things into perspective. I know that not a lot of people here would be big NFL fans, and certainly it won't kind of knock on their door uh, like it does to you on a, on a daily basis being in Washington, D.C. Um, I am a, an NFL fan. Uh, it used to take up a lot of my life um in a, in a in a previous life, I used to do things like this for um my, my for the Cleveland Browns and so on. But um, just on that piece, yes, I think that when we look at ownership and we look at like a lot of criticism maybe came towards like Christian Perslow, and that's that can be a fair criticism if his remit does look. I I don't know. I'm I'm speaking outside of outside of what my knowledge base on what his actual remit is. There, I'm not criticizing anybody for for criticizing Christian Perslow. I think he does deserve some of um some uh, some tough questions. Put it that way. But when we go above that level and we look at Nassif Suarez and Wes Edens, I think it is fair to say that they have done everything right from a an ownership point of view. They've allowed the people below them to to get on with their own job while pumping in massive amounts of money. Kieran Maguire has spoken recently about, um, about the issues of shares that these guys are, are putting in money into the running costs that they've obviously, they're, they're, they're aware of, of long-term financial management of this club and they're willing to put money into this club long-term. So I think a lot of times we can get kind of itchy feet and say, Oh, if we don't see a return on the field of results, will the owners up and go? And historically, that wouldn't have been the case with the specifically with the likes of Wes Edens because he's run his um, his basketball franchise obviously uh, very very well. Took him a long time. He got absolutely blessed in luck with Janice, uh, but still, um, I think that he believes in a long term vision for this. And look, let's be honest with ourselves: they're plowing money into the North Stand. There's going to be a big retail aspect here. They're going to make money back. It's not going to be a loss making enterprise forever. And I think they understand that. Now, to get on to other things there, when we look at how ownership is viewed, and I think Villa fans should be, we should want to put our arms around these owners and keep them with us for a long time. We've had our charlatan um, previous to them. We also had somebody who lost interest in the club for absolute, for different reasons, somebody who didn't really know how to run a business, didn't know how to run a franchise. He ran the Cleveland Browns even worse than his, like, well, his dad, Ran it okay, but you know he ran it even worse than um than a lot of other people have. So Randy Lerner, while he was the white knight on his steed who came in and invested a bit of money when we were going well, 
he lost interest and he lost interest for other reasons. So we need to put our arms around these owners, I think, and give them a big hug and try and keep them with us for a long period of time. And I think they will stay because when you when you reference people like uh, the Dan Snyders of this world and guys, I'm not going to mention some of the things that Dan Snyder has done because uh, I think he's even under investigation by the government even. So you can Google all that stuff. I'm not even going to going to mention that because that's a two and a half hour podcast. And uh, gosh, I don't even know if I could mention some of the stuff that he's done without committing slander or libel on and, his and, and podcast. And I certainly don't want to do that um, because a lot of it is, is hearsay and conjecture. But what I'm trying to say here, guys, is that um, when we've got ownership that stay out of the way, you can see the Man United fans see it as a problem. I think we should see it as a, as a solution because um, we do, we're building from a different base and we're obviously, uh, the financial side of things needs to be fixed for Aston Villa. We cannot be a loss-making entity forever. The North Stand is, is a big thing in that. But then again, obviously, the on-field on, uh, on playing options and, and the, the progression through the, through, um, the progression through that uh, will obviously raise all boats with it from a financial point of view. But as I say, this financial footing needs to be fixed yesterday for the club. Um, and, and I think that Perslow is that's his main job. Yes, maybe maybe he shouldn't be there holding up the holding up um, uh, shirts with players. And maybe he should stay back if that is his main job. Maybe he should. Uh, and we will find out if he is ever going to take the take the opportunity or not the opportunity, but if he's going to take the decision on Stephen Gerrard sooner rather than later, if Stephen Gerrard can't turn it around. But I'm willing to give him a chance on that. And from the from the specific point of owners, um. I think that they're only getting started with the investment into the club with regards to what they want to do, um, and they see this as a long-term vision. But hey, what do I know? Is 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 exactly what I'm going to say in that one. Um, Heinrich is next, and <clears throat> I wonder do many other people send in uh, voicemails when they are uh, just after getting out of the shower? And you guys will know what I mean by this when I play Heinrich's uh, first part of his two-part voicemail. Hey Neil. Saw the, the draw today. It was dope, obviously. I'm sitting here butt-ass naked right now. Not for reasons you may think. I just took a shower, and so I just had a pretty deep shower thought slash question, and I wanted to run it by you. Uh, this might be a dumb question, so let me start off by saying that, but here's what it is. So, since Jared has come in, I've noticed, apart from like that Leeds and Southampton win, some of our best performances have been against the big six sides, for example, today's Man City game, the one in the last day of the season when we had them 2-0 down. There was the Spurs game where we had them up against the ropes that first half and we lost it. Uh, I think the Liverpool game around the same time, we also had them on the ropes for that game, but they were able to score a late winner to continue the title race. And from all those games, what I've noticed is that we – we played how we play today. We kind of clog up the midfield and play very defensively, and we bounce on the break. And I'm just thinking here, sitting here thinking, if every time we play these Liverpools and Man Cities and we're able to get very close to result, if we were in that same tactics against a Bournemouth, you think we have to win, right? I don't know. Maybe I'm tripping. Let me know. To rephrase my question a little bit better, if we can't break teams down, like why are we even trying when we know that we can just play in the break? I guess it would be less fun to watch, but 
yeah, I don't know. Talk about it. And I think I think you've kind of answered your question there, Enric. I think it is very much the fact that when um, that every team wants to have a modicum of entertainment towards their play, I actually think that Aston Villa should aspire to that from the fact that they've got Buendia, they've got a South, a South American contingent there now. Um, we should be able to to break. Uh, we've obviously got um, Pace and Leon Bailey, but I think we haven't found a way to put it together. Um, I don't think we. I think if we played the same formation that we played against Man City at the weekend against the Bournemouth, potentially we would have been able to to break through the middle a small a bit better. I still don't know that we get two goals against Bournemouth playing that formation, just simply from the fact that I think that that day that we played Bournemouth, we were as slow as a wet week uh, in there. We were just really, really, really slow, ponderous. And we had no pace, we had no injection of pace, and they just sat in their own on their own six yard box. So as uh, uh yeah, as 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 Richard says here, a low block versus a low block is a nil all draw. And I think sometimes you when you go to pack the bus for that nil all draw against the top six, it can it, it's a point earned. But I think that if we went to we went to Bournemouth and packed that bus for a nil all draw against Bournemouth on opening day, I think it would be seen almost almost in the same light as it was losing 2-0 to, to Bournemouth that day. It would be seen as points lost. But I think there will come there will become a point uh Heinrich when the when games become, as I like to say, must not lose as opposed to must win. Um and I think that managers are always going to back themselves to want to score goals, specifically a central midfielder like Steven Gerrard, who was able to ping one in the top corner pretty much whenever he felt like it. Um uh, I think that he believes that the players are able to do that. Now, whether he's up for a harsh reality that not every single player in the Aston Villa football squad is going to be able to do that or not, I think time will tell. But um, I also think that it's one sure way as well to to probably, even if you are getting modicums of success, to get fans to turn against you is to be drab and boring. Um, the great Arsenal teams of under uh, George Graham and uh, to a lesser degree, Bruce Rioch before he brought in um, uh, Dennis Burkamp we're always, uh, we're always like the away fans would come in calling boring, boring Arsenal. Yet they were getting decent success on the field, um, and in Europe at that time, uh, they were called boring, boring Arsenal. And then the Arsenal fans would always sing back one nil to the Arsenal. So I suppose there will come a time whereby that would be seen as a victory, uh, essentially. If, but it's only seen as a victory if you get those one nils and not those nil all draws. And so there's, I think, what it is is you kind of you shorten your your margin for error. When you go with that ultra defensive mentality, you shorten your your margin for error because the product you put out in the field isn't exactly as exciting as it should be. And then there's always going to be this: well, why don't we open up and play a bit more expansively? And then we'll definitely win these games when that's not a given either. So it's uh it's it's uh half a dozen two sixes, I think, from the from from that point of view. Um, but great stuff. Thank you very much, Heinrich, and thank you for um having those very lucid and wonderful uh, shower thoughts. Keep them coming. Enjoy them. And lastly, we have John Steele. John, a regular contributor. John is up next. Hey, lads. Um, delighted with the result yesterday. Even Dermot Gallagher, the guy who defends some of the most atrocious decisions in football, um, has said that they got the Coutinho goal wrong. But that's not why I'm uh, leaving the message. Um, I've listened to a lot of podcasts since that result. And I'm just sick to death with the amount of hatred directed at Tyrone Mings, the 
brilliant servant to this club. It doesn't happen on this podcast, so I'm not suggesting that it does. Um, I find this the most balanced of, of all the podcasts, actually. But, like, he was the best defender by a country mile on that field yesterday. I'd be surprised if he doesn't get in some pundits team of the week. He was that good. Like, is he the perfect defender? No. Is there a mistake in him? Yes. Is there better centre-halves out there? Of course there is. But he's a really good one, and he's the best centre-half that we have. And in fact, he's one of the best centre-halves we've had in a while. He's a brilliant leader. He's a brilliant ambassador for the club. He's a brilliant speaker. He's a humble guy, and he's a model professional. Yet you have some of these guys sitting down, just because they have a podcast, they think they're, an, they're experts at, at, about football. They're not. They're idiots. I mean, our win percentage without Mings suggests that Aston Villa do not win games generally when he doesn't play. I just wish people would get off his back. Anyway, good job, lads. Take care. Excellent, John. Thank you so much. And uh, do you know what? There, there actually isn't anything else that I need to, I need to add to that. That was a pretty comprehensive and uh, and and uh, it was it was a voicemail with conviction, and I love that because you know I've been pretty fervent in my um, in my uh, defensive Tyrone Mings. I always felt that prior to Diego Carlos coming in. Tyrone Mings was still our best defender. I felt there was no way you could drop him, even when Diego Carlos came in. I thought it was just, it was very um, obvious that he was the best centre half that should play alongside uh, Diego Carlos. And uh, as I say, it's, it's it's not been the case. I think what you said there is very measured in the fact that does he have a mistake in him? Absolutely. Are there better central ha- centre halves in him in the league? One hundred percent. Are there better English centre halves in him? Yes, most likely. Um, but for us, he is one of the better centre halves we've had in recent in recent times. You know, you go back to guys there like uh, I would say he's better than James Chester. You know, James Chester gets a lot of love for Aston from Aston Villa. He was here for obviously he literally put his career on the line for Aston Villa and love James Chester. Absolutely love him to bits and. What, it, what he did for us in, in the championship, absolutely. Uh, John Terry, uh, Mings is uh, like a 37-year-old John Terry. Was Mings better than him? I, I, I think you'd probably have to say so he was. Um, you know, so what, when we look back through it, he is, and he's been somebody that came into this club on loan, was playing left back for Bournemouth. We developed him more into a centre half and um, he became a mainstay in our team and obviously got us, you know, got us back into the Premier League. So um, I'm like you. I, I don't I don't listen to other fans that uh, other fans of other teams I mean should I say that really get in his back and say that he's uh, calamitous and that he's really really bad and whatever and yeah as I say I listen to some national media podcasts as well who maybe kind of at times show that they don't watch Aston Villa that often whereby they speak ill of of players like Tyrone Bings but look let them say that and um. And and we'll know what we see on the uh, on the field. I think I think in the main that a lot of Aston Villa fans, though, uh, and specifically the I, I I will speak for the Aston Villa pod- podcast fraternity. I think a lot of Aston Villa podcasts do speak very favorably for him and uh, of, of him, should I say? And I and I wish that that that, that does continue. But uh, every dog is going to have a bad day, and every dog is going to have his day, as the saying goes. You know, so um. He 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 he's by no means uh, Franco Baresi or or. I, I like I, I don't think he'd mind me saying he's no Mr. Paul McGrath, but um he's as good a defender as we've had in quite a while. And I hope he continues that. And I hope he continues the focus that he had against Man City because I thought he was pretty good. I thought he was pretty good. Um that was 
more than pretty good, to be honest with you. I, I agree with you. I think he I think he potentially could have made team of the weeks for some pundits. But then again, some of these national media pundits are some of the guys that will turn around and say, oh, but he's had a mistake six weeks ago, so we can't put him in our team of the week this week. And they completely kind of contradict themselves as well. So good stuff. Good conviction there, John. Really love it. And uh, thank you very much for the voicemail as well. Guys, that's going to do it for us today. We're going to be back later on tonight uh, with Paddy. I've just realized how long I've been on. And um, we'll be back later on with Paddy about half nine, maybe quarter to ten. Um, probably actually quarter to ten Irish time. We will be back on and uh, just great catch up with Paddy again. See what his views on the, on the things that have been going on across the Premier League world have been. And we'll also talk about Leicester as well and do a little mini preview as well in anticipation of that. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us today. Um, I hope you come back with some more uh, Villa questions later on. And we'd be delighted to chat them. Have a great rest of your day. And all that's left to say is up the Villa. Podcast Network.